Welcome to another episode of Pimp Your Brilliance with Monique Malcolm, a podcast about brilliant people leveraging their passions to create their own opportunities. I aim to show you what's really possible when you shut down the course of fear and lean into your genius zone. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting keepchasingthestars.com backslash podcast or come hang out with me on Instagram at starchasersonly. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, Star Chasers, this episode of Pimp Your Brilliance is brought to you by the Visionary Journal. The Visionary Journal is a goal setting guide, mini vision board and day planner. It provides a simple structure to help you break your goals into actionable steps that you can integrate into your daily life. Pre-orders are now open for the new and improved Galaxy Visionary Journal. For more information and to pre-order a copy, visit visionaryjournal.co. Hey, Felicia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Monique. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited that you said that you wanted to do this because um, you have done so many things. And I'm going to be honest, when doing some research prep for this interview and to really kind of figure out what I wanted to discuss with you, there was just so much because you've done so many things and, you know, we've been connected for a couple of years. So I've been able to see some of the changes that you make. But one thing that I really admire about you and the way that you handle your business is that you've made transitions and pivots in your your entrepreneurial journey and you've made them seem so effortless and just, you know, you're handling it. So I really want to start there and have you give us a bit of your background. Sure, sure. So I am, I don't even know where to begin. I grew up in Florida. <laughs> I grew up in South Florida, um, uh, Caribbean and American parent. So that was always an interesting uh, childhood. Uh, I worked in marketing and tech for quite a while uh, for my professional career. Uh, McKee Foods, Nintendo, Sony, the NBA. I was a horrible employee. Uh, <laughs> and not that I stole stuff or stole money or stole toilet paper or copy paper or anything, but I think you get a point at a time when you are an entrepreneur through and through and you start stealing time from a company because your heart's not in it. You don't show up 100% every single day because uh, you just quickly, or sometimes it takes people a long time, uh, to realize it's not the place for you. Um, I start. Be, I think before that, I started my first business at the age of 19 as a college student on the campus of Lynn University in Boca Raton. Uh, and it was an educational consulting company. I didn't know what the hell I was doing at the time, but I had won a ton of money uh, in scholarships as like a C student in high school that just got very creative with limited resources. I realized that there was more than one way to success uh, and that everything that people were telling you about, like the scholarship and college process was not true and that I could still win a ton of money by like tapping into all the things that I was good at. Well, my grades really sucked. <laughs> and so I started an educational consulting company uh, that I ran uh, throughout my time at, at Lynn University and ran it with a friend of mine, James Taylor, uh, got burned very quickly in the entrepreneurial process and had sworn off ever starting a business again because I was just so hurt didn't understand failure or any of that at that time and uh, dived right into to working for, for the companies that I, that I mentioned. And then I fell down chasing after an ice cream truck and <laughs> decided to start a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company and move back to Florida 
And, um, and now I run a, a nonprofit with my husband and a few really cool ninjas that are part of our team that does work around ridding our communities of innovation deserts uh, and getting more people of color engaged into the innovation and startup ecosystem in South Florida and, and really throughout the state and throughout the United States. See, so many things just yeah. talking about. Um, and, you know, so you and I met a few years ago at a craft show, I think in Delray Beach, uh-huh. Stitch Rock. And um, at the time, that's when you were running your popsicle stand. And, yeah. you know, I think what you did with that was such a cool idea. And the popsicles were delicious. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, just your experience running a popsicle or a gourmet popsicle stand? Because you're not like a chef or really into food, but you took that on. Yeah, I'm not a chef. Um, I despise anyone who ever tried to call me a chef because I thought it was such a slap in the face to traditionally trained chefs. Uh, But I love food um, and I especially love desserts. I I love desserts so much I got married at a hippie donut shop in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Coming up on eight years, like my anniversary is next week. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And... um, and I, I love the work that I was doing in, in marketing. And, you know, for me, it was I, it was an idea that I just could not let go of. Again, like I was, I, I was at this party chasing this ice cream truck, fell down in heels. Who chases an ice cream truck in heels but me <laughs> in Florida heat? And that was my Oprah aha moment. It was just like I'm way too old to chase after an ice cream truck. And, like, why hasn't anyone come up with a cooler way for adults to enjoy ice cream? And I was kind of on the ground for a long time, Monique, and luckily the ice cream truck driver stopped. He laughed at me, but he stopped. <laughs> and I just, I was just like, there has to be a cooler way because I love ice cream. People love ice cream. And this was before the whole gourmet food truck craze, right? So you weren't inviting or, or hiring an ice cream truck to come to your wedding or your upscale event or your corporate event because... It was just a mixed bag. You never knew what you were going to get, right? Mm -hmm. It could go from, like, the roach coach to, like, the creepy guy who's, like, uh, driving around neighborhoods at 10 o'clock at night playing ice cream truck music. Like, you just never know. But adults consume ice cream, and we consume a lot of ice cream. And we still love desserts. But then, you know, we also wanted the flavors to be more eclectic. And we wanted it to kind of, you know, we wanted to have our drinks and our desserts at the same time. And there were all these things. And a lot of times at the beginning, there were just assumptions. Um, and then it was also just like me. Like, I want a popsicle with rum in it on a stick. Like, who doesn't? <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, but I was also always tell people, like, sometimes a good paying job stands in, in, in the way of you following your dream just as much as a bad paying job. Because that was me at that time. Like, um, the work that I was doing for Nintendo, I absolutely loved and if the economy didn't tank in 2008 and I was essentially laid off, then um, I probably would have never started Feverish and we probably wouldn't even be on the phone right now. And uh, But it did. And I lost my job. My husband lost his job. I had to move back to Florida to my parents' house. Uh, I, I think I was maybe about 24, 25. And I used the last bit of my savings to buy two ice cream carts off of Craigslist. And didn't know what the hell I was doing. Didn't have any money. I like I had a long list of I didn't have. You know, like <laughs> everything that people told you you're supposed to have. I didn't have any of that. 
And but I just couldn't let go of it. And, at the t- and, you know, we know the term like MVP and minimal viable product. I didn't know that at that time, but that's essentially what I created with those two cards. It was, let me just see where this idea is going to go. And, you know, to make a long story short, I quickly realized like, hey, uh, if I go after kids, it's like it's straight mafia style in the mobile ice cream business. <laughs> <laughs> and these people are playing about their territory, but no one was going out at night and no one was targeting adults. And that became the niche that we doubled down on heavily and it became a winner for us. And it was twofold. It was going after adults and going out at night, but then also... I was like, I don't like I want companies to pay us to give ice cream away because I saw this guy in Canada doing it called the ice cream man. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, I don't want to be out in the sun at farmers markets and like all this stuff. Like, I want major brands to pay us. And I had no idea how to make that happen um, other than kind of looking at my experience working in market and just remembering that we would try and brand everything that wasn't nailed down to the ground. And I was like, well, I can, I got to figure out how they can brand food the same way because people have an emotional connection to food. And if you eat something that feels good and makes you feel good, then you're more likely to um, be, and you, you'll be more receptive to whatever marketing or brand message the person in front of you is saying, because there's also that part of like reciprocity, right? So if someone's giving me something for free and then it makes me feel good and it changes my mood, I have to reciprocate that in some sort of way. And if at minimum that's attention, then that's what I'm doing. Um, but a lot of times that end up being transactional um, and huge revenue returns for the companies that we worked with. And we work with anywhere from like Google and PayPal and Forever 21 to Cadillac to Trump was a client at one point. And, um, and you know, it was like a 500, uh, Fortune 500 client roster that would make your head spin. But we were a food company and um, and ran the company for seven years. And literally uh, everything that could have happened along the entrepreneurial journal journey happened, right? From starting up on a budget, on a ramen noodle budget to, um, you know, to having carts and having a ton of carts and having a store and taking on investors and like selling the company. Like we literally went through all of that in like a seven year span of, of running the company. I love that because, I mean, you had like a whirlwind story for this idea that you stumbled upon. But one thing that I want to pull out that you said, and you you kind of said it over several things, just the idea of starting before you're ready. Like having an idea, knowing kind of what you want and just figuring it out from there. And, you know, even though your list of I don't haves was probably infinitely longer than your I do have, like, you still push forward. And I know you talk about that um, in your writings and some of the talks that you have. So I would love to talk about that. Like what, how do you tell somebody who has an idea or what do you suggest for somebody who has an idea to, for them to get started, even when they're not even sure, like this thing is going to be a thing, but yeah. they just can't let it go. Just effing start already. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, because there's the, the thing is, there is literally no way of you knowing if it if it has any legs without putting some sort of leg forward. Like, there's just no way of knowing. Um, like, even with feverish, like there was no way of me knowing if this was a good idea. That even you know a neighbor would buy three dollar a three dollar popsicle. Like, I had no idea. And so even thinking like, and my remember my dreams were huge at the time. My dreams are huge. Like. How can I get like Google to buy like a thousand or five thousand popsicles for me 
if I couldn't even figure out how to get my neighbor to pay $3 for a popsicle where they can get like a whole box in the grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or get people to buy vegan popsicles and like not turn their nose and think that the popsicle is going to taste like cardboard and it tastes amazing, right? And there's just unique things that you can do with food. And, but none of that would have happened if I, if I, if I didn't start. Um, and I think what happens so often is people think that they have, they have to have all these things stacked up in order for them to make the first step. And it's just not the case, especially now. Like, I think starting a business now is so much easier than starting a business seven years ago. It just is. Um, you know, like, I mean, MySpace was like one of our biggest marketing tools now, right? And it doesn't even, it doesn't really exist anymore. <laughs> and there's all these social platforms that are just so much easier to use. Like, man, I would have been killing it if I had Facebook ads back in the day. Like, hey, I could target specific to my location. I can spend five bucks or 50 bucks and I can get measurable returns and I can see that and I can gauge that and I can double down on my messaging. And like, that's insane. You know, and, and, and like that levels the playing field because I remember, you know, being in, at Nintendo and trying to zero in on our demographic and figure out like who our demographic was and who was going to introduce this board. And these companies would spend millions of dollars on this market research that you literally have that you don't even have to spend money on anymore. Right. So like you can set up your ad campaign uh, and not actually spend the money and be able to figure out, all right, this amount of people are interested in popsicles interested in chocolate and hip-hop music and they live at like the zip code like you get that stuff for free so you have no excuse like there's literally no excuse why to start it's like it's just getting out of your own way and for me the simplest way to do that is like take that big hairy scary goal and break it down to a step that you can you can start today um and what is that step and then every day just move forward and you know, we're kind of in a, like a microwave instant gratification society. And for me, that's always been the way of kind of getting that burst of energy. Like, okay, let me post this idea on Facebook. All right. I got like five comments to validate that. If that's what I need, the outside validation to say, let me move forward and then let me do this. I think what, uh, what too, too many people do is they educate themselves out of their dreams because they keep reading this book and that book and that report and that whatever i'm putting this business plan together and they never actually take action like it's just too easy to take action right now yes they educate themselves out of their dreams that is such a true statement it's that analysis paralysis you just keep it researching is. and researching and you never get enough research but you and you never you're never it. going to right <laughs> because it's like i and i remember when i started my business in college like i a mentor had to tell me that he's like felicia put down the damn books like you were looking for like GPS coordinates of how to do this and you're never going to find that. Um, and then you can either stay in like what, like what you said, Monique, analysis paralysis, or just do what you think the first step should be. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't feel right. You're small enough at that point that nobody notices and nobody cares. Right. And it's not that life changing, but it allows you to figure out, all right, this works or this feels good or the process of making the first dollar doing this I like this process because what I've seen so many times in the entrepreneurs that I've worked with uh, from the feedback from people who have read my books is, is just that like, I have a million ideas and like your, well, your ideas are absolutely worthless without any execution. And, and we've put too much value on ideas and not actually the action behind it and the traction. And that's what really gets you the support. That's what gets you the funding. And that's what gets you like moving forward and actually building a viable company is like, 
putting one leg in front of the other and getting some traction, getting some people excited, getting getting some users. But you have to get out of like your own way and you have to let you have to stop that, you know, because the answers aren't there. But the answers appear the more you continue to move forward. All right. You said it. And this um, we have to believe it because it's Felicia <laughs> and she said it and she is a freaking rock star. So she knows what she's talking about. So, you know, I know that you started with feverish and you transitioned to something else. But I want to kind of talk about that. So you had this popsicle company. Uh-huh. You're working with all these Fortune 500 companies. It's doing well. It's doing what you want it to do. But then you had to pivot and go from doing the popsicle business to what you're currently doing with Code Fever and Black Tech Week and things like that. So can you talk about that process of like transitioning, preparing to pivot to something else or even why you decided to pivot? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for me, it wasn't like I had to do something else. I wanted to uh, for, for a number of reasons. One, we started Code Fever, which is our nonprofit, uh, as while we were running Feverish. And it, we originally just started that as a service project to train our employees in highly marketable skills. And we knew that they weren't going to be in popsicles forever. We were perfectly fine with that. But, you know, the entrepreneurship essentially saved Derek and I because we started the company at a time where we could not find work in our field. Otherwise, we would have never started it. <laughs> and I would have just kind of like let go of that that idea. I'm like, whatever, man. Like they'll pay me to go like market cheese or something, and I'll I'll like wait waste way less brain cells than it is to like start something up. And um, but that wasn't the case, and so I was forced in a way to follow my dreams because there was no plan B in the form of an ongoing paycheck from some random company wanting me to market like whatever. And um, and so we had always had a mission that a portion of every popsicle that we sold would either go to um, an organization that we had an affinity to, which is a lot around um, um, youth entrepreneurship and, and kind of eradicating youth unemployment and un- unemployability, which was a huge issue in South Florida with the youth unemployment rate being, you know, three times the national average um, at 33% insane, right? Because we know everything that happens as a result of, of that. So our, the startup community was just sprouting up in, in, in South Florida, um, and it wasn't inclusive at all. And uh, Derek and I would get invited because we were entrepreneurs, uh, but we were the only ones that looked like us in the room, and that was a problem because I just knew so many cool people that were amazing geniuses in the community that I knew would greatly benefit from the resources, from the networks, uh, from the funding that was coming, but they weren't being, there wasn't any outreach to them. They weren't being included or invited. And you know the saying, like, if you're not, if you're you're either on, what is it, on the menu, or if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? <laughs> and that, that's a problem. And, and so we started a lot of the work that you see that we do now at that very moment because, um, you know, we wanted to be extremely committed to making sure that the resources that we were privy to, that it was shared among South Florida. And it was also reflective of the makeup of, of South Florida. Um, and, and so that's what started that. And that's what started that program. And a few things happened. You know, one, we had a, uh, we took on some venture capital funding uh, to expand our operations, expand a lot of things that we were doing, and then also expand outside the state and that, for me, was probably the hardest year and a half of my life. 
Um, I also went it like had my daughter and had her really early in that process. And I attribute that to the stress. Uh, and so I really hate the pretty picture that people paint about entrepreneurship because it's really tough. And once we got on the other side of that, uh, we were back and forth legal with legal stuff for six months with our investors, trying to save our company, trying to save everything. And um, got it, got the company back. We kept it going and built it back up for two years, but it just never felt the same. And I started spending much more time on working on what was just supposed to be the service project for our employees and spending much, much more time with that. It also fulfilled me in a way um, that I hadn't been fulfilled with Feverish in a while. And it made me feel like the beginning days of Feverish when I was extremely hungry, extremely excited about every little thing that went right, even the things that went wrong, right? <laughs> because it's like, it's your baby and you love it. And, and you know, we had to make a decision, Derek and I, of like where we were spending the most of our time um, and wanting to be um, really respectful of the clients that we were bringing in and making sure that we were servicing them the right way. And we just, we, our heart wasn't 100% in it. And, um, and so an opportunity came to sell the company and we did. And then we really just kind of doubled down full time into Code Fever. Um, and then I travel and I speak and I have some books and some products and stuff that I sell. So for me and like what made my heart sing was, was those things, right? It was a combination of doing the work with Code Fever, really helping to diversify South Florida startup ecosystem, really being a, a resource um, to entrepreneurs in that, but then also in the other work that I was doing um, with my books and, and the traveling around and speaking and helping other cities, uh, government, local municipalities um, help to gain some clarity in the startup ecosystems that they were building um, and making sure that diversity was a key part of it from the very beginning. So you're basically a social entrepreneur. <laughs> um, I am. <laughs> you were doing the, the grunt work of an entrepreneur plus, you know, for the, the greater good, which is just so admirable. But with what you're doing, so now you've transitioned and you're doing Code Fever and then you started this Black Tech Week, which is yeah. a huge conference. Don't you guys do it twice a year? Like, So we do the full Black Tech Week once a year. Um, we, this year, uh, we received, uh, $1.2 million in funding from the Knight Foundation to expand our work with Black Tech Week. And so what we launched for 2017 was two programs underneath Black Tech Week. One was Black Tech Weekend, uh, and we launched Black Tech Weekend for a number of reasons. One, uh, the full week is such a big kind of catalytic event. It's a national conference that takes place in Miami. Uh, a lot of people come in, a lot of activity, a lot of resources. And we really want to, we look and our team kind of took a step back and say, how can we be more intentional about the work and spreading this big catalytic event year round to better support the ecosystem and plug some holes into some of the issues that uh, minority startup founders had about, have about their business. And so access to funding was, is always like that number one thing that we constantly got, got back. So we built Black Tech Week to solely focus on one major pain point along the entrepreneurial journey. So the, it was a weekend, a mix of social events, a little, you know, some conferences, some content stuff, some mentor sessions, some parties, like the bad and boozy party. <laughs> uh, but so people can connect on a level in the conference, but then connect on a social level as well. So real connections can happen, some deal flow can increase, some resource magnetism in, in our communities here. 
um, and more importantly, just some real authentic relationships that we hope lead to, to deals. And so that is Black Tech Weekend, but we also created the weekend because it's something that we can take to other cities and we plan to take to some other cities this year, whereas Black Tech Week, the full week, um, since it was founded in Miami, uh, it'll always remain in Miami. Uh, but to be able to service some other communities from some of the best practices that we learned, we wanted to be able to take Black Tech Weekend to other cities. And then the other part that came out of that, that um, we actually just wrapped up the first cohort of it, uh, was venture capitalists and residents. And so we looked at the entrepreneurial residence program uh, and we kind of uh, flipped it on its head and just say, you know what, we keep talking about there not being investors here that are interested in high growth minority startups that are ready for funding. Uh, and there's no one here and to either make those introductions to them um, or fund them, right? Or even just take apart their idea and help them put it back together. And so what does it look like if we find, you know, some of America's leading startup founder, um, I'm sorry, investors and bring them down to Miami for a one month residency to give entrepreneurs direct access to a VC. And, um, you know, we had, I think over, over 40 applications, we picked 30 to actually be a part of the residency. And then we had fireside chats with some amazing people, um, from, uh, Deshaun, who's the founder of Maven to Brian Williams, who's a leading uh, uh, um, investor and attorney in, in Silicon Valley to Angela Benton from New Me Accelerator, um, Brian Burkeen, like the list goes on. It was just an amazing group of, of, of people uh, that we had there, a, a part of it, and then just really being able to help the entrepreneurs as well. So with all the stuff that you're doing, so you're a speaker, you're an author, business owner, wife, mother, friend, basically huge national conference producer how are you making this all work together how do you manage it all <laughs> some days are fantastic and some days are epic failures like that it's just the ebb and flow of like everything but you know it it really goes back to a team and a solid team and um that's it you know i i don't get it right every single day and i like to stress that to people but I have an amazing family that supports me. Uh, they help me with my daughter. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, uh, a really strong and supportive husband that's also been my business partner for the past, what, eight, nine years that we've been in business on the fever side and now working together with, with the nonprofit and, and the conference. Uh, and then my staff, you know, um, Stark Smith, uh, he's also known as the Hungry Black Man. Uh, with like that, that blog and helping food entrepreneurs with, with that um, and getting them more tech enabled and all that fun stuff. Ryan, a program manager. Uh, and so we have, a, we have a team of about 11 people, uh, full-time, part-time, and a few contractors that make everything happen. And then during Black Tech Week, we scale up to a team of a little over 20 to be able to support all the aspects of, of moving a conference and making a conference happen. But that was a hard lesson to learn, you know, of like, no, you can't do everything by yourself. Like you're not superwoman. You'll burn out. I've burnt out before. Um, and I think I was just telling you, like, I've been, I was sick for the past three weeks. And that was like, your body will start to tell you like, slow down and like, take care of yourself and prioritize yourself so that you can kind of keep going and keep fighting the fight and keep building. But yeah, it's definitely a strong team and, and, and having to come to grips that it's extremely important to build a team that, that you support and that supports you. 
And, and team building is such a struggle um, for entrepreneurs. I know it's something I continuously struggle with mm-hmm. hiring VAs and not feeling like they're the right fit and just yeah. trying to figure out, you know, you have to, there's a lot in learning self-management and then trying to learn how to manage another person in a way that supports you. So any, right, right. do you have any tips? Oh, oh tips. Um, the best tip I got from my dad was like hire, say hire, um, fire fast and hire slow. Um, uh, was like one of his best tips. So I kind of use that over and over again. Uh, I think, you know, when, he, when you talk about hiring, you really have to truly understand and be extremely honest with yourself and your, the way that you work. Um, like, I can't stress that enough because that I constantly have to remind myself of that uh, so that you make sure that you hire the right person and that you can coach them, you can support them in the, in the right way and be willing to be able to, to do that. And then put checks and balances in so that you're constantly kind of checking on each other and making sure that you're hitting hitting milestones. Uh, I strongly believe in like professional development for my team. That's something that I didn't always do a good job with in feverish, but I do. We've done a much better job now um, of supporting them and kind of investing in them. And I think every a lot of people are afraid of that because like, what if I invest in them and they leave? But it's like, what if you don't and they say right? <laughs> and, and 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 you just continue with like a shitty person that you can't get rid of because you didn't invest in them. And it's just about respecting people and really building human capital. And if you take, you know, my dad, my dad's been an entrepreneur for most of my life and um, our leadership styles are very similar. And so I've seen a lot of the things that he's had to learn and some ways that he's gotten burned from hiring people. But then I've also seen how his employees have really taken care of him um, and have been able to see that in what we've been able to build as well. But like, I swear by virtual assistants. I absolutely love them. Um, I have a executive assistant here, but I still use virtual assistants for some of the other projects that I, that I work on. And I've had to, um, you know, it used to take me a really long time to onboard someone. And I, and I think that's where a lot of people struggle is like, if you don't onboard this person the right way of like, this is a process of where, how I want to run. This is how I am. This is how I like to communicate like the little things, right? I think we think too much of like hardcore job functions and not like the soft skills and, and how you work and how you expect them to work and delivery and things like that. Well, thank you. Cause <laughs> I'm constantly on the hunt for a virtual assistant and I love them when it works out, but sometimes yeah. there's, there's always something. If I could right. like build the perfect one, <laughs> I would, like pull from several people. But so, you know, you've been an entrepreneur for several years now at this point, what do you feel like have been your keys to success? Oh man, um, I would say, like I said before, definitely a team and building a strong team. Um, that's definitely one. I, I would say really a really strong understanding in in building a brand. Um, I feel like that's something that I I own I I have a I've earned a gold medal in in a, in a lot of different ways, and so I really understand that. And that a lot just kind of comes from uh, my corporate background and what I was able to learn from these companies while on the job and being able to scale that down from like multi-billion dollar corporations down to like a small business. And um, what would the other thing be? And then I would also say just like a high risk tolerance. Like I'm, I'm a person that will bet the house over and over and over again. <laughs> and that to some people would just like, 
they'd easily be like, yeah, peace out. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, but I've done it so much, you know, and I kind of live in that on, on an ongoing basis, which, I mean, to be honest, you're going to get burned sometimes. And, and sometimes you get the really big rewards by doing that. But I've got a, a real comfort in that. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've failed so many times and I think, you know, it's like the cliche, right? But it's true. And I know, and I've been able to personally define what success looks like to me, but then also personally define what, what failure looks like. And I think those, for me, those things have really been uh, key to the success, but definitely a really supportive uh, team um, is, is going to be, it has always been like the top for, for my success. So that same question, but flipped on its head, what do you feel like have been your biggest challenges? <laughs> Oh, the opposite of everything I said. Um, no. uh, <laughs> biggest challenges. Um, let's see. You know, I, I would say biggest challenge, especially in the beginning, was trust. Because um, I was really burned by an employee that I brought on in my first company when I was in college. Um, and it took me a really long time to trust people again. Um, and even just like start up again, because I was just, I had swore off entrepreneurship. I'm like, I'm never doing this ever again. Uh, that I would say, um, a big challenge that I've worked on has been, um, taking off like that superwoman cape. And I think a lot of female entrepreneurs like wear that. And like I said, like what we think that we have to be everything to everyone and that, um, and I have to, I had to take that off, you know, and being very vulnerable and saying, I need help. Um, I need a professional development coach. I need a mentor. Um, I need a better team. I bet you better. Like, these are all the things that I need because I think so often we get wrapped up in saying, I can do that. I can be that for that person. Um, and you're like, you're pouring from, from an empty cup over and over and over again. And I love what Lisa Nichols says about like, you service people from the abundance of your cup, right? From what has been. Like what's the not, what has spilled over from your cup, but you have to make sure that you always have a full cup. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of strength in asking for help. And I think we've we've been kind of trained to think the opposite. So that was a that was a challenge for me. It's still a challenge that I worked on. Of like, am I asking enough? Um, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I feel like I'm drowning in my work. Um, am I asking for enough help? Am I looking at the people that are on my team and empowering them enough to, and trusting them enough to make decisions without me uh, so that I can focus on the higher level thing. And I think the last thing would be transitioning from like hustling to a CEO was a challenge. Right. And so in the beginning, like when you're first starting anything, you're constantly in like hustle mode. Like I can do this. I can do that. Like I'm going to take every single opportunity and you get to a point where you have to, but you, you know, you have to wear the CEO hat and you can't be in every single thing or take on every single opportunity. And you have to get into a position where you become the visionary and the evangelist for what you're doing. And you start to say no to a lot of things because yes, that might be an opportunity and it could be an amazing opportunity, but it's not going to take you where you need to go or excel what you're doing. Um, because it doesn't allow you to have senior line of focus with what you're doing and what you're trying to create and what you're trying to put out to the world. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a challenge for a lot of people. Like, you're like, what do you mean? Like to be a CEO is to be a hustler. And it's, it's a, it's a different mindset. 
um, and you really start to wear the, the hat of being a visionary and, and building and crafting and empowering other people to kind of help you put the bricks together. Um, yeah, those are, those are challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, that CEO, uh, hustler to CEO thing. It's, I keep hearing that in so many groups and so many circles. So I know that that is, is such a true statement and it's a challenge for many people, as you said, because we just think you, you continue to hustle. You started out as a hustler and that you'll spend all your time there, but not if you want to grow and, and really scale. So yeah, that was sage advice. So we're getting kind of towards the end and I have um, two questions I always ask to end the show. And the first one, I call it the Pimp Your Brilliance Action Challenge. So that's three, your top three tips or advice that you would give to somebody who is interested in starting an entrepreneurship because you've done so many things at this point. Yeah, so my top three tips for pimping your brilliance um, is one, pimp your damn brilliance, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I think acknowledge what you have and what makes you unique and what you win a gold medal in and package that shit up and sell it. Um, because I mean, it's, it's just, it's what you have and it's what you need to put out into the world, but have like, no, I, I would say my other part of that is like, have no shame in monetizing who you are and what you do. Like you have to pay yourself first. Um, and there's too many people out there that need what you have. And I think too often we undervalue our experiences and think that that, that people won't find worth in it. Um, but that's a lot to do with the fact that we don't find worth in it. And so I always tell people, I'm like, if you imagine even if you graduated high school and that was the thing that you want to consult and package up and put into a course, there are thousands of students every single year that struggle with graduating high school. Right. And you'll get to a point where you're just like, that's so menial, like no one would care about that. But all the students that, care, that, that can't, all the organizations that work with high school students that can't graduate high school, all the parents that have kids that need that extra push, like there's a business within that, right? And I've seen a lot of people start that, but there's all these unique ways that you can do that. And I would say the last thing about pimping your brilliance um, would be just like be shameless, like get out there. Um, and, and know that you have permission to take up as much space as you need in the world. Um, but you have to get the projects and got, got to get the ideas out and in, in, into the world. Yes. And my final question is about books. So I know you're an author, so I'm going to assume that you read. Uh, what yes. books are you currently reading or what have you read recently that really blew your mind? Oh, so what I what I'm reading right now is Mark Manson's book, uh, the subtle the subtle art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> um, it's a really awesome book, and just uh, really just kind of goes through the unconventional ways of um, a lot of things that we normally kind of hold importance to, um, and kind of some values that are just like are twisted, and like why do we think that way, and why do we hold value? in that and why do we care what people think it's a it's a really good book like it's a pretty easy read um you know the my favorite part of that book is he has this whole question on like you should not ever ask yourself like what is it that you want to do but what are you willing to struggle for uh, because that is really your area of expertise and that is where you're going to lead but it's like i think too often we focus on like passion and and what do you love and it's like no like what do you 
willing to go broke for? What are you willing to lose sleep, lose family, lose friends for? Like, what is that thing that you're willing to struggle for and go through all that pain and continue to go through it because that's exactly what you want and who you want to be? Like, that is how you best figure out what you want to do and what your purpose is going to be and not necessarily what you love. Ooh, I love that. That's a really powerful question. Yeah. I'm over here thinking about I know, it now. It's just like, <laughs> what do I want to struggle for? I don't want to struggle, but... I mean, if you look at the, if I, and, you, I, and I know you know this really well, Monique, right? Because I've watched you for years. I still have your Geekest Gangster t-shirt. I wear it all the time. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you look at, you look, I, I mean, it's even the way we looked at feverish. It's just like, do I want to struggle for this anymore? You know, for this, like this vision that I had seven years ago and to take it and to level up because every time you, you know, bring on a new client or you have a bigger vision, you have to level up. And you have to ask yourself, am I willing to struggle to go to the next level, right? Um, and there's always a struggle when leveling up. And so you have to think about that the same way with, you know, starting a business and following your passion. It's not those days that everything goes well that pushes you forward. It's those days that everything is like to shit and like life has punched you in the gut. And you say, you know what? It has punched me in the gut, but something's telling me to keep going this is the thing that I know that I want to do because no matter what, no matter how painful the bad days are, I still wake up and I still want to push forward to the next good day. But know like that those dips constantly happen. And it's like, do you want to be a part of all that chaos? Because it is, right? To be an entrepreneur and do your thing is literally going against everything that you've ever been taught in school and everyone around you that has taken the traditional route. And that's a very painful process to go because it's a very lonely process. And you really have to like, when I saw that, I was like, how do I answer that question? But, you know, you find that thing that you're willing to struggle for and you do get success out of that. <laughs> well, there you have it again. Sage advice from Felicia. So if listeners want to get in contact with you, where can they find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So they can find me at FeliciaHatcher.com and on social media at Felicia Hatcher on literally everything because it's easy for me to remember. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the best ways to find me and my book, uh, Start Your Business on a Ramen Noodle Budget, or I have a planner called the Focus Planner. You can find the book in any Barnes & Noble's bookstore near you um, or on my website as well. All right, you guys go check out the book because Felicia's pretty fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show and answering these questions and being so candid because I love all the things that you're doing and I'm so excited that you were willing to share with us. And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Learn more about this show and get access to show notes by visiting keepchasingthestars.com. While you're there, make sure you subscribe for updates. I'll be back next week. And in the meantime, go out there and pimp your brilliance.